anger was a huge part of this story. In fact, what I want to suggest to you is God speaks to us all the time. God will meet us in the most unusual places. If you, want to, if you want to learn something, one of the summary statements of this book is, God shows up where you least expect it. And God speaks through things that we would never believe he would speak through. And one of the things that God speaks through is our anger. And in this story, it's a story, a very familiar story. In fact, it's, it's a story about how a, a man who was maybe you know, one of the most influential Christian leaders of all time, of all history, came to faith in Jesus. And anger was at the center of it. The anger that he was, with which he was seething became the point that he encountered God. And you think, you can encounter God when you're really super angry? Yeah. In fact, God will speak to you through your anger if you let him. So let's read this story and see if you can see immediately the, where, where anger plays in this. Okay, verse 1, Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way or who were Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So, 
let me just summarize a bit of this story for you. So you see, the story starts with Saul just seething with anger. He is, it says he's walking along the road and he is just like breathing out threats. Have you ever been that mad? No one's raising their hand right now, but I'm assuming uh, honesty is real reigning in the house here, okay. Uh, we see and we hear reference the, the destructive power of his anger, how he's persecuting people, men and women, just because they believe in Jesus. And he's, he's rallying people to his uh, crusade, right? He's, he's gone to people who, who have the legal authority to allow him to do whatever his anger feels called to do. And then we see as he's going along the road, Jesus steps into the situation and, and calls him out, essentially. And he just basically says, stop. And the encounter is so dramatic and so traumatic that he's blinded, and, and his whole life just gets turned upside down. And it says he goes to Jerusalem. I mean, excuse me, he goes to, uh, in, into Antioch, or where, where was it? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, he's going to Damascus. He goes into Damascus, and, and he begins to fast and pray. And there's significance in that. And doesn't eat or drink anything. He, his life has just been shaken. Everything has been shaken, right? So what, he doesn't say it here, but Luke records, who wrote the book of Acts, later on, when, when, when Saul is retelling this story, he tells it a little differently each time he tells it because he was on trial several times and he had opportunities to kind of explain how he went from this opponent of, of the followers of Jesus to a leader of the followers of Jesus. And he would take parts of the story and depending on his audience, he would add something in that he didn't put in the other story when he told it in another setting. But one of the things he says later in Acts when he's standing before one of the, the Roman officials is he says, Jesus said to me, it's hard, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And it, that's a, that was sort of a, a figure of speech that said, your conscience is really bothering you, and the way you're responding is you're getting angry. And your anger is, it, it, it's just beating itself against your conscience, and it's hard. It's taken a toll on you. And then you've been in kind of an internal crisis about this, but your pride won't let you, your pride won't let you admit you're wrong. And so every time your conscience raises its volume, your pride gets stronger. And so I need th that, that anger you're feeling is speaking to you and telling you it's a, it's a, this is what anger is. It's a secondary emotion. Anger is not a primary emotion. Anger comes on when we feel something else going on in our life. It's trying to get our attention that there's a big problem. And the problem, most of the time, we think, is out there. But God is saying, your anger is telling you the problem is in here. It's in your heart, Saul. That's where the problem is. And you're not listening to your anger. Your pride's telling you, it's those Christians. And he had convinced himself that he was fighting for God. And when Jesus showed up, he realized, I'm not fighting for God, I'm fighting against God. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life where you've seen how wrong you are when you think you're really right. It's very unsettling. This was a total personality meltdown. 
where uh, uh, unarguably Paul was one of the greatest leaders of his day, one of the greatest scholars of his day. And this is a person of real substance at, at the height of his influence. And he just crashed and burned in this moment where Jesus appeared to him. It was when Jesus showed up and God spoke to him. And he heard through the voice of his anger, you're not fighting for God, you're fighting against him. And so Paul had to come to terms with what his anger was telling him. Jesus was saying, you've been hearing this, I just want to let you know, your conscience is right. Your anger is telling you your conscience is right, and I'm reinforcing it. And with that little nudge of God's glory showing up, Paul fell apart. So the, the, what happens with our anger is it's not just a secondary emotion that's pointing to something else. It is often a way of self-defense. It's a way when part of us is threatened, our ego or some other insecure part of us is getting exposed our anger rises up to defend ourselves, and we push back against what we think is, is going to injure us. Ever done that? Ever been in a situation where you know you're wrong, and you know you're wrong, but you just raise your voice? It's like, I'm wrong. I'm just going to get louder. <laughs> you know, there's a saying in, in uh, public speaking, when your point is weak, uh, raise your voice. When, when your point is weak, take your shoe off and pound the podium because you're trying to hide something. And the, what <laughs> Paul was getting a, a, a re-education moment here for the whole world to see for all time. I mean, this is the word of God. Everybody's, I mean, you know, everybody, millions and millions of people have read his story. This was very humbling for a person like him. And so he, used to, he looked at Jesus and, and what Jewish people were taught was, Anybody that hangs on a tree, because they made crosses out of wood, so the cross was symbolically a tree. It goes back to the garden. There's all kinds of interesting parallels here. Anybody who hung on a tree was cursed by God. This was an axiom of Jewish thinking, that if you hung on a tree, Jesus hung on a tree. The Romans that, that, that we know are God's enemies killed Jesus, so Jesus must have been cursed by God. That's how Paul thought of Jesus. Okay, we're going to come back to that in a second. And when Jesus showed up alive, I think Paul suspected who it was. Who are you, Lord? At least in his head he's going, please don't say you're Jesus, right? But I think you are. You sound like that guy that I heard about. And then he says, it's Jesus, you're persecuted. Now, Jesus wasn't being persecuted, right? We know he was persecuting Jesus' people, which says something about every follower of Jesus, how invested God is in your life, that he, you are, you've been saved by grace, and so you're identified with him to the point where he identifies with you. No matter how imperfect you are, that's what grace is about, that God accepts you as you are, and that you're like his very body, family. You're connected to him in a way that is, it's just hard to get your head around. Saul is wrestling with all this. I mean, you can't imagine the things that are turning over in his head in this moment. No wonder for three days he didn't eat or drink anything. I think this was three days of preoccupation like maybe none of us have ever experienced. So this problem with anger, which I want to get back to, is when we start getting exposed, we think if I'm really exposed... And people know who I am. They're not going to accept me or love me. 
And there may be things in our lives that are unacceptable, but we mix up the things that we do with who we are. And that's bad love. That's bad parenting. That's bad thinking. But that's the way we all struggle. And so Saul is kicking against the goads and increasingly doubting his crusade, his position, his viewpoint, all his conclusions about this cursed Jew, Jesus. And, and instead of stopping and humbling himself, he just raises the volume. He takes his crusade out of Jerusalem on the road and begins to fight it even more. And this is, this is what happens. When, when our ego gets threatened and when our self-worth and our identity gets threatened, we start fighting back. And I'll show you, that's the, that's the worst thing to do. Like they say when you're in quicksand, I don't know if anybody, anybody here ever been in quicksand? There's actually quicksand down in Texas near where we live. Never fell in it, but they say, just remember this, you learn one thing in church today that you, if you fall into quicksand, don't struggle, right? Because you sink. When your ego gets threatened, don't respond with anger. Bad move. It just gets worse. It just reinforces the problem. And it's, it's, it's a cycle that, that takes you into a worse place and not into a better place. So the problem Saul saw was out there, this encounter caused him to begin to recognize the problem isn't out there. Maybe there's not a problem at all out there. Maybe the whole problem, much to my chagrin, is in here, in his heart. He's wrestling. This is a story that's repeated over and over and over in the Bible. Did you know that? I mean, there, there are plenty of stories just like Saul's. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you one, and I, I would have you read it, but I'm just going to summarize it. There's a famous story. And again, these famous stories have these lessons about anger in them. There is a story of a man named David. He was, again, maybe the most famous person in the Bible outside of Jesus was David. David was called a man after God's heart. He was a person who God loved deeply. He was a profoundly influential leader in the history of, of Israel. But there was a point in his life where he got into trouble and he got involved in adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And because he slept with her, she got pregnant. And when she got pregnant, then it really got complicated because he's already got wives and concubines. But this is a wife of one of his closest friends. Isn't that how oftentimes it works? And he begins to face the whole issue of do I admit this and come clean or do I cover it up? And he chose, like a lot of times we do, the cover-up route. And so he decides, well, the first thing, nobody knows I slept with her, he thinks, right? He's the king. He sends someone to get this beautiful woman to come over and let's have a conversation. I want to have coffee with beautiful Bathsheba alone. Like everyone around the palace has probably talked about this. Everybody knows. But Uriah... His, his close friend, in fact, one of his, uh, like his personal guard is out on the battlefield. So he sends for Uriah, gets him in, has a party, gives him some, some, some wine, and kind of says, why don't you go home and spend some quality time with your wife? You know, I guarantee you, every guy who's out in the battlefield is thinking about spending quality time with his wife when he gets home. But Uriah doesn't do that. This is the quality of character he had. All my friends are on the battlefield in pain. I'm not going to go sleep with my wife. And so he, 
uh, goes outside the king's palace and sleeps on the ground. And the king goes, oh, oy vey, this is not working. So he sends Uriah back to the battle and tells the, the commander, this city that you're laying siege to, find out where the, the, the toughest uh, soldiers are for the enemy and send Uriah up to that place. Because he knows he'll probably get injured or killed. And sure enough, he does. He gets killed. And so he gets word about it, and then he lets Bathsheba do some of the traditional grieving, and then he marries her. And there's an interesting statement. God's summary statement, or, or the writer of 2 Samuel's summary statement about this is, it says, this thing that David did displeased the Lord. And so it says God sends Nathan, who's a prophet, to David, and he tells him this story. Let me, let me read the little story. He says, okay, a traveler came, oh, sorry, uh, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. I don't know about a lamb sleeping in the arms thing. I don't know if you've ever been around sheep, but whoo, yeah. I guess they had different, they were used to different things, uh, let's put it that way. So, okay, so it was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Hospitality was a big thing. Traveler comes, your reputation, your whole village's reputation is on the line to treat that person well. So it says, instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who deserves, who did this deserves to die. Did the anger just flare up? Just, so what was his anger saying? Was his anger saying the problem's out there? No, his anger was saying the problem's in here. And so Nathan says, oh, and he says, he deserves to die, but, you know, we're not going to kill him over that because the king was the highest judge in the land. And, and you know, the, the kind of, he was thinking Nathan is coming for some adjudication of, of a, a dispute. What should be done to this man? And so he says, he must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You weren't listening to your anger, but God is. You're the man. And the message is, this other person didn't abuse their power. You did. This other person didn't kill the lamb. You killed Uriah with the sword of the Ammonites. Anyway, he just busts David. And David said, I've sinned. And and Nathan said, you're not going to die. You've repented. But you're going to have a mess. The rest of your life is going to be ruined because of this. Because anger has consequences. Don't we know that? Don't we see it? Anger has real consequences. And we can be forgiven, but it can still wreck things for us. So if we're going to deal, if we're going to listen to our anger, what we can learn from this story is, and and the same thing from Saul's story, because each one, the people get a chance to deal with things in the same way. Saul had, uh, excuse me, David had to learn 
to submit his anger to God. And the thing about our anger is, anger is this empowering emotion. It makes you feel powerful. It makes you feel like, I can take on big things with this when I'm feeling this way. Because literally, in your body, when you're faced with a threat, before you can think, your body sends hormones into action, and this fight, flight, freeze, faint mechanism kicks in. And when the fight mechanism kicks in, it's amazing what you can do. I knew a girl once. I saw this. She was pulling out of her house, and she had little kittens all over the house, and she and uh, we were both, uh, I was over at her house, and I was getting in my car, she's getting in hers, and she starts backing this little white Fiat out. And I hear this, and she jumps out of the car, and she'd run up on a little cat, one of the little, not a kitten, but a little cat. She just goes, ah, and she really loved these little cats. She reaches over and grabs the wheel well and picks the back of the car up and goes like this and moves the cat out with her. <laughs> she puts it in, I'm standing there, I'm going, now, I'm skinny. I used to be skinnier. She made me look like, like a bodybuilder. She was one thin girl. And she put it down, and she picks up the animal. She was like this, and, and it just kind of hit her what she just did. She just starts crying. Ah! And I'm just going, whoa. <laughs> I'm not going to get on her wrong side ever. I couldn't believe it. I mean, she just reached over. She picked, grabbed one hand, the wheel well, and went like that. Your hormones, these chemicals, the fight-flight chemicals prepare you for action. And anger empowers you. And if you're, when you're in anger, it is, it is not your first instinct to say, i got to submit this anger to God. God has to have the final say over whether this anger is justified. And that, isn't it what Jesus said over and over? Like he, remember, I quote this all the time. In Matthew 7, 3 to 5, Jesus says, if you see something that bothers you in someone else, before you try to take that splinter out of their, their eye because it bothers you, first take the beam out of your own eye, then you'll see well enough to help them. That's what he's saying. He said, surrender your anger, surrender your stuff to God first. This is always the first move in our lives. The first move, we've got to, we've got to, we have to rehearse this when we're not in the moment so that when we're in the moment, the fire drill has trained us. Like This is part of the reason why Christians, why people of faith, have gathered together since, G, since God told Abraham, follow me. Why people worship, why people gather week in, week out, is this is a fire drill. So you learn what you're supposed to do, and you start practicing it so you can go out into the world in your day-to-day -day life, and when you're in the moment and the alarm bell rings, you learn, I'm going to submit myself to God. That's, that's my first move. My first move is not going to be to justify myself. My first move is not going to be to give in to the anger. My first move is going to be, God, I submit this to you. I want to listen to you. What are you, what are you saying to me in this moment? Oh, that is so hard to do. Because when the alarm bell goes off, all kinds of instincts just kick in, don't they? And oftentimes the worst instincts kick in. And so we need, like we see these stories in the Bible, you see, they, the reason they're in there is they're so representative of humanity. They're representative of us in our lives. So here's, the, I'll give you another one. So out of, that, out of that little story, the thing that Saul did, which I'll show you at the end, 
is what, what David was supposed to do, which was to submit his anger to God. And ultimately he did, but he got smacked around a little bit first. Now, let me tell you this, a shorter story, it's not in the Bible, uh, it's from a counselor. So, counselor goes out into her waiting area, and her, a young wife is there waiting for her. And the young wife, uh, is, she opens the door, and there's several people waiting, uh, and the young wife, because it's a, a counselor's office that has multiple counselors, but she is sitting there, and she is just eaten up with anger. She's, like I said, use that word seething. She just, if you, ever, you know, when you're really angry, you just can't sit still. She's just sitting there. She's just flinching her. Just, she's eaten up with anger. And so the counselor says, come on in. You know, and she's trying to be a, uh, you know, a peaceful presence to her. And the lady sits down. She starts telling what's eaten her up. She's been in, in, a, in a conflict with her husband. And, and she is, but, but now she's starting to <laughs> get in touch with and the feelings and she's starting to express them. And the counselor's sitting there and she's just trying to listen, you know, and not react. This lady is like about to lose it, this young wife. And then the young wife looks at the counselor and, and sees her just listening, you know, very attentively but, but calmly. And she goes, you're acting just like my husband. He, whenever I'm all pissed off, whoops, sorry, said it. <laughs> whenever I'm all beat off, she said another, a more choice word than that. I, uh, PG-13 here. She said, he acts just like you are. He just sits there calmly, and it just drives me crazy. He doesn't know how much he hurt me. And, 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 and she's just throwing all this venom at the counselor. And the counselor says, oh, will you hold on just for a second? I'd like you to do something for me. What is it? She goes, I want you to say the last three words you just said to me. He hurt me. And the counselor is looking and starts weeping. Just, it just, boom, Because oh. anger is a secondary emotion. Her anger was from the pain of the conflict and how she'd been treated. And she cries and cries, and the counselor just sat there with her and gave her some Kleenex and comforted her. And then this is what the, the, this angry, now way less angry young woman said to her. She goes, wow, it's a lot harder to feel the pain than it is to feel that. And what she took away from that was, and the same thing Saul this. The second thing, when you're going to listen to your anger, you've got to submit yourself to God, but you've got to find someone who's wise to bounce things off of. Because God sent Ananias to Saul, and he was an empathetic, caring guy who was afraid of Saul, but he was also a wise person, and he connected with Saul right off the bat, and clearly there was much more said in that exchange between Saul and Ananias. And there's much more that went on between this woman, this young woman and the counselor. Here's the thing. She went from angry and defensive and shut down to a moment of transformation because she listened to her anger. She didn't know what her anger was telling her. Her anger was telling her, he hurt you. And what are you going to do about it? Are you going to just stay angry? Or are you going to stop and get in touch with the hurt and deal with it? And a wise person will help you to recognize that and will help you to reorient your perspective from the problem is out there to the problem is in here. That's always where problem solving starts. That's what Jesus said. It's, it, it, listen, relationships and life is complicated. When you're angry, I'm not saying there isn't problems out there, but the problem resolution process always starts when we look at what is in here. 
And that's what Saul had to do. That's what David had to do. That was what this young woman had to do. So, so summary, wrap it up. I can't do that. Saul, when he was faced with this dilemma, he was struggling with the same things we struggle with, is this. I think I'm right. I think I'm justified in being this angry. Saul was coming to town with papers of permission to act out on his anger. So he was saying, people think I'm right. Pretty smart people think I'm right. This is what we do. We gather, we gather our supporters together. To, again, because we, we lose perspective about what's really going on. Because we live in a world where power is prized in the wrong way. And when we're weak and vulnerable, we try to grab power wherever it is and use it to protect ourselves or to get what we want. And Paul, let's go back to the story here. Saul, back then, to him, the worst example of humanity was hung on a Roman cross, this person Jesus. He was, he was a disgrace to his people. In fact, the fact that he ended up there was proof that he, his name deserves to be opposed Well, when Paul started listening to his anger, he started realizing, oh man, I got it so wrong. I've been defending myself. And in defending myself, I've been fighting against God and I've been hurting people, the very antithesis of what it means to be a faithful Jew. And I look at all the damage I've done, because when you start looking at damage, this is what we have to do if we want to deal with our anger, is we've got to see the damage, we've got to assess the, the, the landscape around us and in us. When we give in to anger, like Saul was giving in to anger, when he encountered Jesus, first Jesus said, you are breaking the heart of God. You're persecuting God. Because this is what Christians said that made the Jews so upset as they were saying that Jesus was the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. And the, the Jews were divided. They said, how could God in the flesh be cursed? And die that way. That's humiliating and shameful. God couldn't be a part of that. We can't worship a God like that. Because God comes to deliver. He comes with power. His arm is bared. That was one of the phrases of Jewish idiom. God, bear your arm. You know, show up. And God was showing up. Saul learned in Jesus on the cross, and the first thing he had to contend with and that we have to contend with is when we let our anger go and rage like that, it breaks the heart of God. Now, there's, this is, this is a complicated issue. There is a time and a place, Paul says, to be angry, to rage, but there's, there's a thoughtfulness in doing that that you have to engage in. It isn't just whatever anger comes out of you is okay, if it's okay. There has to be some process that you, that you work through. Jesus said, you're hurting your fellow Jewish people. One thing, if there is one thing you could say about Jewish people back then and even now is Jewish people tend to be this beleaguered, persecuted minority, and Jewish people have a, 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 a very deep sense of community. And Saul has to grapple with the fact that he was destroying and ruining the lives of his fellow Jewish citizens, his neighbors, his brothers. That was 
a terrible betrayal that he had to own. Then, and this is the thing sometimes we don't see, when we let anger rage unnecessarily, it damages us. Because here's what Jesus said, and, it, and this is a principle that repeated. I've said it to you many ways, many times. And I know, I look at your faces sometimes, and you, I, I, you get tired of hearing me say this, but I'm only repeating what the Bible says and how it repeats it in different ways. And it's only repeated so many times because it's so important. And it's only repeated so many times because we need to hear it over and over because the world around us, the world that, that we live in, the environment we swim in, and like I like to say, a fish doesn't know it's wet, doesn't respect this point. Jesus said over and over, if you want to save your life, you must lose it. And if you want to find your life, you must let go of it for my sake. So he's essentially saying the damage that you've done to yourself through giving into rage, the, the, the hurt that you've caused the heart of God who you say you worship, the pain you've caused people all around you, I took it all when I died. And the vulnerability that I showed in that moment has to become a way of life for you. And I promise you, if you will embrace losing your life, letting your defenses down, listening to what anger is saying to you, facing your pain, facing your guilt, if that's what you're facing, I have the power in my suffering death to turn that all completely over. And there's no place else you can go but to me, in my way, to change all that. Because anger is destructive. That's what this story tells us. And all of the anger of the world was poured out on, all the unrighteous anger was poured out on Jesus. And he took it all. All the anger we've just blown up with at times. All the damage that we've done. All the, the harm we've inflicted on our own tender heart. Each of you, your heart is more tender than any of us know. And it has been wounded by your own anger and your own rage and the rage of other people. And you will carry that around the rest of your life because we're designed to carry around good things and layer on layer of things to build us and shape us and form us into better and better people. But the crap that we do and the crap that we experience gets layered too, and it will have the opposite effect until we, until we humble ourselves and say, I'm not going to try to sort this out I'm going to let him sort it out. I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm going to embrace the cross. I'm going to admit, you know, the mess I've made, and I'm going to let him sort it out in his way. And I'm going to begin to, with his help, because he certainly did it, with his help, I'm going to embrace this life of vulnerability. I'm not going to use anger to protect myself anymore or to provide something for myself. Or any, any other way I'm using anger. I'm going to learn to use it and express it honestly and appropriately because there is a like that's what paul says the, the guy who wrote this passage in ephesians 4 which i've repeated dozens of times be angry but don't sin and don't let the sun go down in your anger now he's quoting psalms but he's saying i did that i know how it wrecks everything learn from my learn from my mistakes his story was well known there's no way the ephesians could hear that word anger written by that guy, and not go, he knows what he's talking about. 
That guy can speak from life experience. So I want to ask you, we're going to close this way. Uh, Jason, you guys come up. We're just going to close this way. It's real simple. I want to ask you to consider for a minute if at some point in what I've said this morning, there is a moment where your mind, you, you, you kind of left here for a second, and your mind went to a time where you lost it, maybe more than one time. And maybe something I said today has helped you to recognize that that ain't changing. I just, I, I, I find myself reflexively going there. And I'm not listening to the message that my anger is saying to me. I'm just pulling the batteries out of the smoke alarm. I think the problem's out there. I'm not stopping to say, what is it in here? What's the pain I need to deal with? What, what's the fear I have of being exposed? It, it's, uh, it, there's, a, there's a whole myriad of reasons why we might be reacting that way. But, you know, we leave this wooden cross up here. Sometimes we take it out, but we leave it up here. And, you know, we used it a few weeks ago. That's where all those, if you don't know what those papers are, those are like sins that people were talking about or ways that, I forget what it was, but I asked them to, to put them on the cross. Let Jesus have them. Now I want to ask you to do the same thing today, but I want to ask you to do something that's vulnerable. Because, and I only ask you to do this because it is the heart of this message. Anger gives you this false sense of empowering. And so when God invites us to come and find life, he tells us we have to let go of that false sense of empowering. And faith is the opposite of that. Faith is trust. Anger is not trust. Anger is, is stiff-arming. It's it's creating a buffer zone. Trust is like what Paul did was he went into town. He was blinded. This is what the book of Revelation says. We need to say I'm poor and blind and naked. My anger proves that. But Jesus, should already, we already know he became poor and blind and naked and he suffered and died that if anybody wants to the angry mess, he can take it because he already suffered for it. It's the only safe place to give it. And he says, if you lose your life by admitting that, that you have some struggle with that, and your struggle, I I shouldn't say this, because if you're worrying about how you look, it's reinforcing your pride is a bigger issue than you think. I'm going to ask you in a second, I want to pray for everybody, but if you have a struggle with this, and, and God might not be speaking to everybody here, if, if, I think there could be one person here, and that's all that God's speaking to about this. The rest of you are just going, I'm so glad I heard this today. This is something at some point I know I'm going to have to take seriously. But if, if you hear God tapping you on the shoulder, or you sense God tapping you on the shoulder, I'm going to ask you to stand up for a second. And you know, we're, we're not going to everybody bow their head, but I'm going to ask you to pray with me in your own way. And just say, Lord, I want to let go of my anger and the way I use it to save my life, however that looks for you. I want to let go of it. I want to give it to you, Jesus. That's why you went to the cross, to break the power of this in my life. And I want to begin to walk in this vulnerability that I know I touch in my life here and there when I'm close to people and I'm close to you. That's what I want. If you, uh, I'll say the promise to you one last time and then I'll just give you a second of quiet. If you lose your life for his sake, if you admit that anger has some hold on you and it's, it's caused a lot of problems and you want to stop using it the way you've used it. You want to stand up and you're just in your own heart saying, Jesus, I want to lose my life for your sake. You promised I will find it. And as I stand here, 
I'm believing that this act of faith, this, this standing is a prayer with my whole person, that you have the power to begin to resolve the mess that I've made. And the reactions that I'm carrying out because people have been angry with me sinfully. All of that, that, that complicated ball, I believe you can begin to unravel it and that you will start today. I want to pray in just a second. Just give you a chance if that speaks to you to stand. Jesus, thank you. You stood up for us. You went to the cross. When we wouldn't admit our need because of our pride, because of of how much we have invested in portraying ourselves to people and being certain things. We thank you that you took the initiative to go and suffer and die for us. You lost your life for our sake. So this morning, we want to choose to lose our lives for your sake. We want to lose our ego that we try to protect, our reputation. All the ways, Lord, that we try to make our lives work without depending on you. We just stand and admit that we do that, that we do it reflexively, Lord. It's just deep within us. And so you said if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, to cleanse us deep inside us, Lord, where the problem is, in our hearts. Jesus, we take the pain behind that anger, the fear, the insecurity, the lies, all those things, and we give them to you that they would go and be nailed to the cross with you. That their power in our lives would be broken. And like Paul was baptized into your name, Jesus, we, we bring those things and give them to you. Those things that we are ashamed of, those things that we hide, that we're afraid of. And we thank you that you welcome us. And you love us. And you say, now that you've let go of that, I have so many good things for you. And we welcome those good things. We ask for the Holy Spirit to come and begin to fill us. Make us like you. Make us like you. Make us like you. Make us more like you. Lord, this pattern of reaction and anger has been in our families. It's been in our communities. It's been in our nation. It's been in the world since Cain killed Abel. Jesus, you're our hope that this is going to change. We know it has. We saw in Saul's life. And we felt it in our lives. And so we come to you again with that same hope of the gospel that says, if we lose our life for your sake, we'll find it. We thank you that the seeds of grace, the work of your spirit, are being sown into our hearts right now. The old is passing away. The grace is pouring in. And Lord, I pray for every person here that where there might be amends necessary to apologize for rage and for words and things that that hurt others, that they'd have the courage and the wisdom to express those uh, appropriately, that they'd begin to embrace that posture of vulnerability and live out this intention that your word is forming in them to keep losing their lives for your sake and finding their lives as a result. And I bless you in Jesus' name this morning as you go that this word would be planted and rooted in your hearts that nothing will be able to steal it from you. No lie of the enemy, no scheme, no accusation, no purity in your heart, but through the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus, the beautiful name, the wonderful name of in his name, you begin to turn a corner in your life. So Jason Brooker is going to just play this song when you walk into the room, and I just encourage you just for a minute, just allow yourself to soak in the Lord's presence before you leave.